Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Perkis, the writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, you and I have both been traveling. We both watch NFL games in different cities. Uh, you went to the, I don't know, future Super Bowl champion Buffalo Bills uh, hosting the Green Bay Packers. I went to the first place uh, in the <laughs> NFC South uh atlanta falcons win win a crazy game against the carolina panthers so uh winning football for us this week uh but how was your trip to buffalo it was fantastic loved it uh and yeah it does feel special to be in buffalo especially this season there is a very they always love their team they always love their chances but there is a very palpable feeling that this team is as talented and possibly more talented than the last team they had that went to the Super Bowl. And it's almost a weight of expectation. I've been to cities like that where they were preseason favorites and they were just trying to carry it through. Didn't really matter what sport where they're almost a little nervous because they've been sort of the harassers in the division for a long time. And now they're the clear front runners, not only in their division, but in their conference. Uh, And there is a, a very palpable sense of momentum and and hope in Buffalo that this team will, will get them over the top. My experience in Atlanta was a little different. Uh, This is a team that's rebuilding, but yet they're they're somehow in first place in that division. I don't know if that'll last or anything like that, but uh, half full stadium for, for a team that's not doing bad. It's a divisional game. Uh, So, so they're really kind of struggling to get, uh, you know, engagement with their local fans and, uh, I, I tell you what, I, I put money on that they uh, piped in sound to that game oh. because it was so loud at one point. And I'm like, it, th- these this half full. I'm looking around. Half the people aren't doing anything. I think they were piping in sound and they were certainly the music, I think, was kicked up, you know, to an 11 and just made it really loud. It was actually kind of uncomfortable to a certain extent. Um, it was just it was just kind of a weird vibe. Uh, th- that I got out of that. And, you know, I'm not cheering for either team, just kind of looking for a good football game, which I got. So, you know, I can't complain too much on that. Um, we uh, we have a special guest today. We're kind of switching gears here. Uh, we've been doing our, uh, uh, our player recaps, you know, d- deep diving into one player each week. Uh, but with all of the trade deadline activity with new general manager, Ryan Poles, I wanted to get uh, a perspective that, I thought that we would both benefit from and our audience would enjoy. And so we are bringing back our, I guess, our favorite guest, uh, Brad Spielberger. Um, he, I think he definitely has the record at this point. Uh, so we're going to bring in Brad. <laughs> Brad, uh, you are number one uh, in, in, our, in our hearts and in our programs uh, at this point in the record books. So, Brad, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. Well, for having me back, it's uh, far too kind. Um, I got a little uh, craft, little little southern, uh, little hidden gem. It's called Modelo. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, <laughs> it's all I had in the fridge. But anyway, thank you Micro. guys so much for having me. Glad to be back. I um, had a, a Negro Modelo the other day uh, down here because we we were out, and that was pretty much what they had. Um, I I did stop at a uh, uh, local liquor store, and this is Pretoria Fields is the brewery and i am in atlanta which is the the home area of justin fields and this is the walkers station stout and so we will uh check that out so for brad and i we're on the east coast uh it's basically happy hour so we're 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 good to go here it's happy hour on the west coast uh for those of us that work for ourselves but not for those of us that need to go to the dentist after this because that's just not a great mix very true. Well, I think your dentist probably appreciates that. So I'm sure he does. So, Brad, we had a lot of activity by uh, new general manager Ryan Poles here near the the trade deadline, and include up to and including the last day of the trade deadline. And so, I want to work through the three major trades that Chicago was involved with. We can touch on uh, some of the other ones around the league if you want at some point, but. I want to talk about it from the perspective of what does this tell us about the new general manager? What is the, what are the cap implications, you know, good and bad, you know, how, how does this work from like a team building perspective, you know, being able to shift money from one position to another, being able to visit, uh, shift money from defense to offense, that kind of thing. That, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, that team building philosophy stuff that we can glean off of these moves. So 
I want to start with Robert Quinn. That's probably the easiest of the three. Uh, so let, let's start there. Yeah, so we'll definitely jump into kind of how that looks holistically and, and all the things you just touched on. I would say here specifically with Robert Quinn, more of a timeline move in my opinion, more of a, look, this guy is not any long-term plan of the Chicago Bears right now. It, clearly an important player for this locker room. You have you know teammates crying at their press conferences and also just good to have some veterans when you're so young. I'm sure Travis Gibson and Dominique Robinson have learned a lot from Robert Quinn um, over the past year and a half or, you know, or half a year for, for Dominique Robinson. But it's more just about, look, you might as well recoup draft capital, a top 150 pick. Obviously, right now, the Eagles' fourth rounder is the last pick in the fourth round, um, you know, based on projections. But it's a cool, savvy move to where, look, the Bears need to spend money this offseason to meet the three-year minimum cash spending from 2021 to 2023. That's how frugal they've been. So it honestly doesn't really impact you to keep the $7 million or so on your books for Quinn and basically buy a fourth-round pick. That is essentially what they did. I'm not certain without doing that that a team would have even offered like a seventh-round pick, and I'm not saying Quinn is bad. I'm just saying $7 million for a half season of Robert Quinn for another team is a lot to you know to stomach. So I think it was a good maneuver, a smart idea. Um, cool to send him to a legitimate contender in Philly where he can be part of a rotation at edge, not playing as much and probably being more impactful on a first snap basis. Um, and why not for Chicago? Just, you know, buy a nice fourth rounder. Yeah, this I you hit on something that I think is really important that fans, I think in general, I think a lot of fans are very savvy, but in general, fans have not caught up to the financial implications of contract contract remaining and in your in your point minimum cash spending they definitely don't go that deep that's your territory and so they look at the compensation for a player and they think how good is this player either in my mind or as the team sold them to me as they acquired them and what did they get and why do those match in my mind or oftentimes in fans perspective the big cry not match why didn't we get a first rounder for a guy that set the single season sack record and i think the three of us understand that pretty clearly but there are really deep financial implications when this contract was signed uh pace went all out to throw cash at robert quinn to get him to come to a team that was not performing very well that's what you have to do in the free agency market we even thought he went a little bit over that and to your point you can't just voice that off on another team. They're not going to accept that. And so people were like, I can't believe we're paying the money. And I kept saying to folks, if we, if, if polls didn't want to pay the money, Quinn's not going anywhere. No one's going to accept that. And my thing was, I would have loved to seen it done earlier in the off season. And there was some conversation about that, but the bears apparently at that point were not willing to match any of that salary. And he stayed because of that, even then. So, there's this financial component that's really important to a lot of these moves you see around the NFL that I think people kind of haven't drilled into yet. 100%. To touch on Quinn specifically, I talked to a, a club source before the season and said, hey, is there a chance your team, a team that I think needed edge help, is there a chance you guys trade for him and he's uh, acquire Robert Quinn? He said, acquire, is he getting cut? Because that's the only way we're acquiring Robert Quinn. And so again, we're not here to mock Robert Quinn. He's coming off an 18 and a half sack season. He is a very productive player in one of the more important facets in all of football, um, but it's always about value. I mean, you nailed it. It's, it's the toughest thing with projecting these trades. And look, all I'm pulling from is historical data, both on the player's actual production and performance based on a bunch of different metrics. And then also looking at how many years were left in their contract and what was the actual value, you know, the cash remaining on those years. That paints as much of a picture as those production metrics because that's, you know, that's how the team's reviewing it. It's asset buying. You're buying considering both the floor and the ceiling. You know, Quinn could have 15 sacks the rest of the year. He could get hurt tomorrow and not play for the Eagles. Like, they're weighing all of these things, um, and that complicates the equation for sure. Brad, I'm curious, in your experience kind of tracking this, because I, I think anecdotally I have an idea of where these pinch points would be, but where are the leverage points throughout the NFL calendar where you see some pressure to make trades? I would assume at the draft – Right. There, there would be some motivation because you would have instantaneous capital at your fingertips to acquire players. I would assume 
camp, right, has, has some level of that where guys are shaken out and you don't really want to cut them. So you, you try to get some value. And then the trade deadline, um, it, you know, can you talk through the calendar and, and kind of size that up and, and where we're kind of seeing more here on the trade deadline lately? So those are the big three. And then the one other is I think you can see a trend now of team plays a couple weeks in the season. It's two or three weeks into the year. And they say, look, we maybe didn't recognize in camp that we have a glaring need at this spot or we suffer an injury. We lose depth. Something happens beyond that. And they think, look, before this falls off the rails, before this becomes a serious problem, let's address this now. X team over here might have a little bit of a, you know, extra surplus amount of talent at that position. So maybe they'll be willing to make a deal. But yes, those deadlines of cut down days and training camp when you see what you have. And of course, the deadline now. Also, just an, you know, a side note, 10 deals yesterday, twice as many on a deadline day as any year of the last decade. We are in a different era in the NFL. Um, player movement is, is unlike it's ever been before. But yeah, th- those pressure points, you know, deadline spur action is kind of, you know, the quote that Andrew Brant and, Brant and guys love to shout. Um, it's true. And, and teams are always working up against those deadlines. Before we move on to to Roquan, does th- does this move in a vacuum reveal anything to you about Ryan Poles? I think it, it revealed that he is always going to be thinking long term and short term, and you know, care is willing to you know make decisions. Look, like George McCaskey probably doesn't love the idea of spending seven million dollars to buy a fourth round pick, which again is what they did. I'm sure you know you had to sell it to ownership to a degree. Um, yeah, I, I think it shows he understands you can't these little deals. Look, the fourth round pick could become a bust, like it's a reality. But these little edge cases, and these little deals, or how the smart GMs like a Howie Roseman, the guy he was dealing with on the other side of this, they win in one or two of these, and things break their way, and they land a good player with those picks, and it can change the entire landscape of your roster. Well, let's go ahead and move on to Roquan Smith. So this one came I, I don't want to say as a surprise because i think in hindsight it sure looks like uh, all of the the pieces were there to put together but i think when it came across it was like oh okay you have my attention sir um so <laughs> instant instant feedback from you on what what your what your feelings were when you heard about compensation heard about landing spot and trade partner here and maybe from the ravens perspective what they see out of this move and why they would make this move and then maybe how the Bears got here with with Roquan, who looked like he was maybe the most talented young player on the on the roster at one point. This one I love because it provides us a perfect example of how you can say, look, one player on one team is not the same as that same player on another team. Nothing is one to one in this league because of the context of what you're doing, both on and off the field. So one thing I love about Bears fans, I think they've become super knowledgeable, but compensatory picks. Um, and, and we talk about all these little intricacies and stuff like that. And I love it. Of course, you know, the nerd that I am, I love it. But here's a great example. The Chicago Bears have to spend so much money this offseason. They have to. They, they have no choice. They would cancel out any potential compensatory pick for Roquan Smith. So in a normal scenario for him, you'd say, hey, if you kept him, you walk somewhere else, you get a third-round comp pick, and so on and you know, so forth. That is not actually an option. They were either going to franchise tag him and then extend him, maybe franchise tag him and trade him or franchise tag him and be right back where they are, you know, this year in the same situation, or you let him walk and you get nothing with Baltimore. You give up a second and a fifth round pick, but let's say hypothetically, it doesn't go great for them. They can let him walk in the off season and they will get that third round compensatory pick. And then in their eyes, they swapped down around and gave up a fifth round pick to kind of try to make a championship push. So much more palatable, much more you know understandable for them. They do, of course, value the position more at off ball linebacker. I mean, the Bears obviously do right up there with anyone as well. But you know, as of today, they clearly seem to value the position a lot still, as they have historically. Um, and then again, it's just a timeline thing of. You know, the Ravens are set at tackle to a degree. They're set at edge rusher to a degree. They're set at receiver, not set at receiver at all, but, you know, they have a lot of the premium positions set. The Bears have arguably none of those positions set. Paying $20 million a year to Roquan Smith, who is a good player, who is worth that contract. I, I believe that. But paying that when you have so much, hole, so many holes on your roster versus Baltimore, that's maybe a little bit closer. Um, it's a different, you know, it's different analysis for those two clubs. EJ, does this put Baltimore closer to being a contender in the AFC in your mind? 
they're already a contender. We actually spent some time talking about Baltimore this week on bootleg. Uh, it was one of the games that we featured focus on in a sort of pared down show because we were traveling, but they're one of those teams in the AFC. They're never going to be favored against the top teams in the AFC, but our take on it was, would we be surprised if they beat any of them on any given Sunday? And the answer is no, we believe they have that potential. Does it give them one more piece at a spot that they know how to use and leverage and have gotten not great play out of now? Patrick queen is their high round pick at linebacker. He's been better this year, but still not great. Roquan is clearly a superior player. So it gives Mike McDonald, their defensive coordinator who came over from Michigan taking over for Wink Martindale, one more really fun piece that he knows how to use and leverage. It definitely makes their defense a little bit scarier. I would say somewhat like the Bears, they're trying to figure out their offense. Mark Andrews got hurt again. They don't leverage. They leverage their wide receivers in a different way than almost any other team in the NFL. So bit of a different calculus on offense. But in terms of adding another very quality defender on a defense that knows how to use them. Yeah, it's great for them. And to get back to his position with the Bears and how we got here, it really feels like this move was decided in the summer. It, not in public opinion, but behind closed doors, this move was decided. Roquan famously represented himself. Uh, Ryan Poles even said yesterday that made things he was he was tactful about it, but he said that made things a little bit more challenging. Um it probably made things a lot more challenging, but basically you had two sides here. You have the player and the GM or the organization, both that sat down and said, this is what we think you're worth. And, you know, they both came to the table with their idea of what that number was. Those numbers are usually different. Let's be honest, but oftentimes they can come together. I believe those numbers are far enough apart in this case where Paul said, hey, this is we think you're a good player. And in what we need to do here in our balance of offense and defense and youth versus experience and everything else, this is the value we assign to you. And Roquan said, no way. I don't think so. I think I'm worth a lot more. And I think they did that fairly amicably. Right. Roquan said, all right, fine. You don't think I'm worth it. I'm going to bet on myself. And Ryan Paul said, that's okay. Like, this is what we think you're worth. You think that's different. Cool. We're going to, we're going to go forward with that assumption and that sort of lay of the land laid out moving into the season. So like you said in the open JB, this, the pieces were all here in hindsight to look at and say, Oh, this makes a lot of sense, but it was shocking given again, if you don't take in all the intricacies of the comp pick, because you know, that's half the equation. They still got to spend all that money. People will say, great, if you got to spend all that money, why not give him the money? He's a quality young player. Sort of. He is a quality young player, but there's these other considerations and they really need to move the balance the other way. So it kind of works for both sides here. The biggest thing that you said, Brad, is the Bears were going to get nothing, right? If he walked, they're not getting a compensatory pick because they're going to bring in loads of free agents and offset that, basically blow it out of the water. So while fans think comp pick that was never coming and he basically had a higher opinion of himself than the organization did, they found a very good place to put him off to. He has a much better chance to win a ring sooner in Baltimore than he did hanging out in Chicago. And people will play the loyalty card and say, oh, the team that drafted you. I, I understand that that all comes into play. But when this shook down, Roquan ends up with a great team where he can play a very significant role. The bears end up with some compensation and Baltimore ends up with a very palatable price for that. Uh, I don't really call it a gamble for that test of a player. Brad, I'm curious. I'm going to kick that to you. EJ kind of brushed it on it. I, I said it as well. You know, do, what does this say about Ryan Poles in this particular, and this move what does this tell you in terms of positional value, in terms of where he wants to potentially put his dollars um, in terms of the roster on defense or the split between offense and defense? You feel like you can tell that from this move? Yeah, I can tell you. I mean, the Bears 
we're at 19 million, maybe a little bit over 19 million per year with incentives and escalators. We heard about the escalators eventually from Ian Rappaport that pushed this thing to around 20 million per year and just above Darius Leonard in Indianapolis. So it's not like they were offering, you know, $15 million a year and there was this massive, you know, undervaluation from them. Roquan Smith was asking for $23, $24 million per year, wanted to become one of the highest paid defensive players in the entire NFL. And I don't think it was ever going to get particularly close. So that is part of it. Um, but then also, yes, I, I think it is a positional value component, which is great to see from Ryan Poles. I mean, it was very funny today. Matt Eberflus kind of took a shot at Ryan Pace in his press conference. I don't know if you guys saw that, but yeah. someone asked him today, hey, when you were picking sixth overall with Indianapolis and you took Quentin Nelson, were you trying to convince Chris Ballard to take Roquan Smith? Maybe. And he was like, oh, didn't he get taken at 11? He said, no, he got taken at eight. And he goes, well, Chris Ballard wasn't in the business of taking off-ball linebackers in the top 10. Again, everyone's going to freak out. Chris Ballard has not been perfect. He might be getting fired in a couple months for all we know. But I think that is a more consensus opinion that it is, you know, again, I know it's the, the position of the Chicago Bears, and there are great players there that are difference-making players there. But in today's NFL, to allocate that much money at that spot when you don't have a lot of assets elsewhere – is, is, is a tough you know thing to justify, and I think Ryan Poles showed that, and I think it's a great signal of how they view building a roster on a holistic standpoint. So let me ask you this. You're not going to have that giant you know max contract here uh, with Roquan. So where do you see that money going? Do you see that go, staying on defense to – put into like a three technique or a corner or something like that, uh, to, you know, to, you know, maybe it's Jalen Johnson, right. When, when he's, when he's due for a contract, or do you see that money being reallocated over to the offense and really trying to build up that line and the wide receiving core? If I was a player going into the fourth year of my rookie contract, and that now includes Chase Claypool, it also includes Darnell Mooney, Jalen Johnson, Cole Komet as well. Um, I would be excited about this offseason because the Bears need to spend money, and those guys are – I would say this too. There's, We've heard a lot about you know Arizona. One example I always use, Patrick Peterson, who did get extended, but – you know, was was yelling about how much he hates Arizona this past weekend when they played against Minnesota. And apparently a lot of guys in Arizona got frustrated over the years that they would never invest in homegrown players and kept just signing guys from elsewhere. So you do need to manage all these things. Robert Quinn is different than a Roquan Smith. I would understand if some players kind of, you know, look at the Roquan Smith situation and say, hey, this guy came in. He's a leader. He works hard. He shows up. He's a good player. We still traded him off. So I think all those guys could potentially get extended. Free agent-wise, I do think they're going to go back to the, the well at three technique or even honestly just like a, a John Hargrave is kind of more of a one-zero tech, frankly, than a three technique, but but address the trenches on a very significant level. Maybe Elton Jenkins reaches free agency because Green Bay doesn't know what they're doing and you have the Luke Getze connection. Maybe Mike McGlinchey in San Francisco because they have so many big contracts now. I think trenches is where they spend their money. Um, receivers, there's not a ton of options. But I think both Claypool and Mooney could be signing extensions this offseason based on how the rest of the season goes. EJ, yeah, I, I could see the bounce on offense. It is going to be really interesting to see what they choose to do with the line. And and if you're a Bears fan and you're wondering why should I watch the rest of the season if you haven't already been excited over the past couple of weeks about the movement we've seen since the mini-buy, which has been significant, um, this is the reason to watch with these additions, right? It's not that these are going to generate wins or a ton of positive momentum immediately. It's how they fit, how they grow. Will they, are they candidates for those extensions for some of that money? Will they be here longer term? Like Chase Claypool's 1.5 years. Mooney's hitting his window where he can be extended. I think most fans assume Mooney will be here. I think that's a pretty good assumption. He is a homegrown player that is has outplayed his draft value, certainly. But what? who are the others, right? We see the balance at running back. We're going to be trying out different offensive line combinations. Braxton Jones has shown some really good things in the run game. Does he continue to develop? Or, hey, are you looking for a left tackle target in free agency, which would be incredibly expensive? All of those things are the sort of balancing points to watch throughout the growth and development of the rest of the season. That's that's what we said going into this year is figure out what you've got first in Justin Fields, then in everything else, and get ready for this year that Ryan Poles is very clearly setting up for. What's the current number, Brad? 134 125. million? 
Maybe about 125, but yeah, I, I know I touched on it real quick. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but like they literally need to spend cash to reach the minimum. Um, it, it's a, you know a CBA mandated rule, so yeah, not going to dive into it. But like they have no choice but to spend a lot of money. It's, it's not even a cap thing; it, it's a cash thing. Yeah, right. And you hope that it's not a Jacksonville situation where they're throwing crazy money at people just to get them to sign. You you know you do want to reward some of those homegrown players because honestly, we've talked about this. I've talked about it with Lesser. On, on our, you know the other show where you know there's this idea that oh they're just they're gonna let Dave Montgomery go you don't you don't pay running backs and it's like well you know if if it's a reasonable contract I'm okay with bringing David Montgomery back because they have the money like the money's not the issue right now and if he's a leader and if he's a good player and you see a role for him then I, you know it's not it's not an insane thing I think they need to like you know flip the carries uh, uh, distribution between between the two guys and have Herbert have more carries but that that's a conversation for another time Montgomery could be in line for some of this money too those guys should be privately kind of you know given a fist pump because Roquan was going to suck a lot of the oxygen out of the room he's gone and and that opens up a lot of money before we move off of Roquan and get get to the get to Chase Claypool I just just your quick like grade reaction you know whatever like how did you feel about moving Roquan Smith here I mean yeah I would give it like a B plus a minus they were never going to get a first round pick again it's just was not a reality my thing is understanding that they like I said they could have gotten nothing I I think it's a great move it's not easy to move you know a guy at this position for premium draft capital I'm sure they tried the entire offseason as well that I can't speak to that I do not know I'm sure they made phone calls though um, so yeah, I mean, and, and again, we'll get to it, but I think it also opened the door to make a move to bring someone in when you had that extra second round pick, you know, in your back pocket. Perfect. All right. Quick break here. And we'll come back and talk about the newest Chicago bear chase Claypool. Okay, guys, let's talk about it. Another golden domer. I mean, those of you that cheer for Notre Dame and the Bears just have to be super happy. And then I thought, is it isn't uh, Equinemius St. Brown a, a golden domer too? I had four offensive players play for Notre Dame. This is insane. I think we need to kind of like slow the roll here. And weren't you just talking about Mike McGlinchey? Maybe we just let's just pencil him in. Wasn't he a Notre Dame guy too? I mean, geez, yeah. all right. You know, I'm going to have to invest in some Clover gear uh, to, you know, to be able to fit in with Bears fans anymore. But uh, big news was the acquisition of Chase Claypool. The Bears sent their second round pick, which we can talk about a little bit here in terms of the valuation there and maybe the, you know, the, the negotiations and competing against uh, that team up north for the services of Chase Claypool. But let's talk about Claypool, um, the, the acquisition. I'll, I'll kick that to you, Brad, first. And then, EJ, I want you to talk about the player a little bit and how you think he fits in the scheme. So, Brad, let's talk about maybe what led up to this trade and how the Bears were able to get him. Yeah, you know, I'm sure when you put out that I was coming on the pod, I think a lot of people probably weren't super stoked. I, I ruffled some feathers yesterday. Um, I'll say this. I, I can separate the the value that you spend on a player from the actual player. I'm stoked about Chase Claypool. I think he's a good player. I think he's a picture-perfect fit in this offense as kind of your big-bodied Z. You can move him around. You can put him in the slot. He can block well. He has the jump ball ability, all those things. But, you know, from a compensation standpoint, this is a potential top 40 draft pick that you're giving up for – like I said, a guy that you could be paying a brand new massive deal in nine months time. Again, you have the rookie contract at your disposal. Maybe not do that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a steep price. My understanding during this entire time, look, they've been having conversations with folks for about two weeks. And even dating back to the preseason as well, Chase Claypool has been available since they extended Deontay Johnson, since they drafted George Pickens. He became the number three guy in the packing order there. Um, and they just knew they weren't going to extend him like they just extended Deontay Johnson. So I was told a while ago and leading up to the week of the trade deadline that a third round pick probably would have gotten this done. Obviously, that changed. I'm not saying you can go back in time and change things. Um, you know, and yes, competing with Green Bay for this player, I'm sure was part of the calculation to a degree. I don't know if I shouldn't have said their name, the team up north. My apologies. But, you know, all, all that stuff comes in. I would have been ecstatic if it was the Ravens pick over the Bears. And people saying, hey, it's not a big difference. There is a big difference. Pick 40 versus pick 55 is a big difference. But but nevertheless, if you look at it more so as we're shifting resources towards offense and also we're helping ourselves actually evaluate Justin Fields. He now has two legitimate wide receivers. 
you, like you said, you reunited with Cole Komet and had the whole Golden Domers approach on offense. But there's so much inherent value in just now saying like he's a force multiplier because now Mooney can't get, you know, have a safety of the top or get bracketed and do different things. And look, I like Mooney a ton. He's not going to win if he's getting that much attention on him. He's not that level of player. And frankly, neither is Claypool, but I view them both as number two receivers. But if they're both kind of two A's and then you have some gadget players, you have some good, you know, two good running backs, a solid inline tight end. You can see how you can make this offense work. Um, so, yes, I do objectively think it was a little bit of an overpay, but that's not going to bother me. You know, 10 minutes after I said that and tweeted that out, I'm already dreaming of, you know, how much fun this offense is going to be. I, I'm with you. I got it. When when they came out and Albert Breer said, uh, oh, it's it's the, the pick they just acquired, Courtney Cronin. You know, ran with that. So I saw it multiple places that, you know, hey, yep, it's uh, it's the Ravens pick. And everybody was like, cool, got it. Ravens are going to be in the playoffs. You know, maybe they win a playoff game. We don't have to worry about it, you know, whatever. And then it was like, oh, by the way, actually, um, it's actually the Bears pick. And it was like, ah, okay. Um, so I think that there was a little bit of anchoring that happened. And, and so you had already kind of, not you, Brad, but we collectively, the people that are on this stuff in real time, saw it as okay we've already made the determination that this is what it costs and then it was like oh by the way actually it was more expensive because you know the bears pick is going to be worth more than, than the ravens pick so i think the anchoring effect actually kind of kind of uh colored a lot of our feelings here because we had already assumed what the cost was but then you, then after that you started to hear a little bit more about well the packers raised their price second round picks were on the table from both teams and then it came down to the steelers saying well, which team do we think is going to finish with the worst record, right? And they thought the Bears. Hey, if they thought that the Packers were going to tank and that the Bears were going to win a few more games than, than the Packers, they would have taken the Packers uh, pick, right? So, yes, the Bears beat the Packers for, for Chase Claypool because the Steelers think they're a worse team. But that's okay um, because I do think this is going to be, in the long run, uh, pretty good for, for the Bears. So, uh, EJ, let's talk about the player. Um, I, I You know, there's a relative athletic score – you want to see, uh, you know, it lit up like a Christmas tree. Uh, it is, it is green, green, green. It is, is uh, a very athletic player. Um, what can we expect when he gets on the field and starts getting a package of plays? Mm, a lot of things. And right before we get to that, I want to, I want to pose the question to both of you, which is because you brought up the anchoring effect, and I'm going to talk about the anchoring effect in a different relation to Chase Claypool. But for that pick variance between the Ravens pick that was acquired and the bears pick that ended up being spent to you guys. Is it worth it to keep this player out of green Bay is you're talking about a 15 ish pick difference. Is that about what you're, what you're guessing, Brad? Yeah, I think so around there. Yeah. 15, but you know, again, 15 in a hot, much higher level of picks right, right, right. and, you know, exponential, exponential value for picks up there but to you individually even now that you have had some time to cool down thinking it was the lower and it ends up being the higher because that is always a, a sort of swallow moment where you're like oh ah, darn now that you know that the potential does you know mostly the potential destination might have been the team up north is that 15 pick differential worth it to you to have this player on the bears instead of a division rival and facing him twice a year so I'm a wet blanket. It doesn't really factor in for me. I get it. I totally understand why it would. I, you know, I, I, I'm a fan first as well and all those type of things. I don't want to see them get better. Um, but my thing is that just delays their inevitable rebuild, which is coming in the very near future. They're giving up a second round pick and still can't get out of this hole they've dug for themselves. So I would have probably just sold myself on that. Um, but I, I get it. I totally do. I just... I think it gets tricky when you cloud your judgment with that and try to, I got no, no, you're not doing this, but you try to say like, oh, well now it's okay because we kept them off the Packers. Um, you know, I try not to let that enter my mind, but I do get it. I mean, I'm a writer. So like, I, <laughs> I, I love this kind of stuff. This is, this is, this is free <laughs> fodder, man. So like, I'm all about it. If it was, oh man, they, they outbid the Jaguars. It'd be nothing. Who cares? Right. This is, <laughs> this is the team up North. This means something. So yeah, th th there is a little bit of added incentive here. You know, we, we can pull this out uh, regularly, particularly if he takes off and he's a really good player because let's be again, EJ, I want you to talk about it, but 
the zombified corpse of Ben Roethlisberger was throwing him passes, and and then uh, you know noodle arm Kenny Pickett and uh, Mitchell Trubisky. Like this guy hasn't had exactly Justin Fields' arm throwing him go balls here. Yeah, let's talk about Claypool the player a little bit. I just wanted to pull that out of both of you and see see where you sort of came down on the fence after a night to cool down. But Chase Claypool, 6'4", 238, 32 and a half inch arms, 10 inch hands, played at Notre Dame. Um, interestingly enough, he's one of the players that I saw the first time I ever went to the Senior Bowl in 2020. Saw him up close, saw him at Wayans. Um, I famously floated a theory that he should be transferred to tight end because i was like holy cow this guy is huge like physically huge the closest player that uh chicago fans will will be able to easily and readily relate to is cordero patterson he is very similarly sized to cordero patterson and if you've ever been next to cordero patterson like on the ropes like we were in training camp that is a big dude playing receiver that can move and claypool is the same way so the, he has those characteristics coming in, and he was fast. Well, he destroyed my tight end theory by going out and running basically the fastest 40 since Megatron at that speed, and that was like, okay, he's a wide receiver. Nobody's going to downgrade him to tight end at this point, which was a great thing for Chase Claypool and obviously a very good thing for the Steelers, but a terrible thing for my tight end theory that Daniel Jeremiah agreed with when I floated it to him, but then that was before the 40. <laughs> Anyways, 2020, he comes in as a rookie with the Steelers. Uh, important to note that he played 16 games in his rookie season and 15 games uh, in his second season. He's been a durable guy. He's been there for almost all the games. Basically, this is a guy that catches 60 balls for 800, almost 900 yards. Uh, rookie season, 62 receptions, 873 yards last year. Uh, 59 receptions for 860 yards. Um, you know, he broke onto the scene with nine touchdowns. Now, touchdowns are kind of like sacks or interceptions. They're fickle. Sometimes you get your number called. Sometimes you're in the progression. That's your touchdown. Same thing next year. You're open on the play. Uh, maybe it's a swing to the running back and you don't get that ball. So everybody paid attention to Claypool. And in terms of the anchoring effect that I referenced earlier with that little bit of foreshadowing, if you thought the pick swap was a big deal, the Bears had a chance to draft Claypool <laughs> when he came around the okay. first time. And a lot of people wanted that to happen, including me. Uh, they didn't. Ended up with another Golden Domer. I get that. But there was a very real sense that he could be a Chicago Bear at that time. So if you were cheering for that at that time and you're upset about this in any way, you kind of need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, basically, it happened just a couple of years later with a little more NFL experience. Getting to what Bears fans can expect. Uh, Brad touched on it a little bit as a swappable Z. He does play in the slot and can play that big slot role, the one you see in Dallas with C.D. Lamb and many other receivers around the league. He was somewhat sort of forced into that role when he was a rookie uh, for the Steelers, but he can also play outside because he is big enough and fast enough and strong enough to be a jump ball receiver. One of the most interesting stats about Claypool is that his contested catch rate has skyrocketed this season. So playing with Trubisky and Pickett, he's gone from a high 30s contested catch rate to a mid 50s contested catch rate, which means basically every other ball is a contested catch for him. So he does have that ability. He does have the ability to go up and pluck it. Um, big athletic player, again, long arms, big hands, um, very physical. Uh, does have some issue with drops, but you are going to see, hopefully, his speed matched with Justin's arm. That's what folks have been clamoring for in Chicago is Justin Fields, when protected in the sort of play-action dropback or even from the shotgun, a very good deep ball thrower outside the numbers. And that's a somewhat rare skill set in the NFL. There are other guys that can do it. Very few that do it as well as him. That is one of his key sort of green areas for hey, I throw a really accurate deep ball outside the numbers past 15 yards. Claypool can go get a lot of those, whether he's lined up in the slot or he's lined up as a true X. Also a factor in the blocking game, again, because of his size and power. I mean, he's a very, very muscular dude. So that's going to, you know, David Montgomery's going to love that when Claypool seals the edge on some 5'10", 185 corner and just buries him. That's going to be a very popular thing. So, I see him as a fit. They get a year and a half, really, you know, nine months to evaluate him and decide how he fits, whether he meshes with Justin. There will be routes, uh, and this happened in Pittsburgh as well, where he runs the wrong route or he drops the ball. He has been somewhat immature in his development in that way, and it frustrated Steelers fans to no end. 
Um, you're still going to see some of that. He is not immune from that. He is not past that. But you are also going to see 55-yard balls that he plucks away from a safety, you know, knocks the guy down and keeps running. And that's going to be a thing. EJ, do you think that there's a chance that he may have actually landed in the perfect environment for him to become a better professional? Because he has Cole Komet there, who he's college teammates with, right? He he has Justin Fields, who by all accounts is a, a really dogged, determined worker. He came in with Ben Roethlisberger, who's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like all of that, I'm not taking anything away from Big Ben. But he's at the tail end of his career. Big Ben is a little selfish, in my opinion, at the end there, just kind of hanging on and kind of tanking any chances that the Steelers had of, of turning that roster over, just collecting a giant paycheck. Like he comes into a situation where they traded for him, they want him, right? And now he's going to be put in with Mooney, who's a hard worker, Justin Fields is a hard worker, and he has friends on the team, right? It kind of feels like the perfect landing place for Chase Claypool. There's also the piece that this team went out and got me. And just right. like we're talking about the anchoring effect being a bit of a downer for us, it's got to be some encouragement to him that not only did they give up a second round pick, not a third round pick, but they gave up a higher second round pick when they knew was going to be a higher second round pick to get me. So I didn't go to their division rival. That's going to make any of us feel good. We get a call out of the blue and they say, hey, we're going to give you a signing bonus if you come work for us. Another company says, well, we want you to we'll give you the same signing bonus. And the first company goes, now we'll give you five grand more if you show up here tomorrow. You're like, all right, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about how much they want me. So that is great for him. This is a guy also that's averaged over 14 a catch the first two seasons, no matter who's throwing to him. And again, no matter which position he lined up at, that's a very nice per catch average in the NFL. Plus 14 is is nice. This year it's 9.7. I think that's really telling with the mix between Trubisky uh, and Kenny Pickett so far. That's a serious drop, but for the first two years, even in a very talented wide receiver room, they were going to chase Claypool deep. 14 plus a catch means you are getting average depth of targets that uh, it's not all yak with him. It can be yak, but he can make those big catches down the field. And the Bears really haven't had that. They hope they were going to get some of that out of Byron Pringle. Byron Pringle is bigger than people think he is. Uh, and he did some of that in Kansas City, but he's been hurt all year. So we haven't really seen that facet of the offense. Same thing. They brought in Keel Harry to be this big sort of post-up go-catch-a guy. Hasn't been on the field last so that you know, the Bears very clearly want that in their offense. They've take, taken a couple of swings to go get it. This is obviously a much bigger swing on a different level, but also a guy that's proved it. 60 catches, 800, well, 850 plus yards for both. That's rare air. I think a lot of fans think a lot of receivers get that much production. They don't. The number of receivers that get over 850 in yards every year is not that large. And they're thinking about the Cooper Cups of the world and everything else. But as you get down, that number falls very quickly into the seven, six, five hundred yard range. Claypool's proven he can be productive down the field, high efficiency with his targets, win those contested catches. It could be a very, very good spot for him. Good stuff, EJ. I know you have to run a little early, so if you have to jump off um, as I finish up here with Brad, uh, feel free to do so. But Brad, I'm curious from your perspective on this move in a vacuum. I know you feel maybe like it's a little bit of an overpay, and that's that's okay. And you know, like you said, you you got people a little worked up yesterday when you said that. But I I want to ask the same question we've asked the other two. What does this tell you about Ryan Poles and his approach here? And um, you know, do you, did you like the idea of going out and acquiring Chase Claypool here? The idea uh, is phenomenal. Like I said, I agree. I think he's a perfect fit in this offense. He's different than the guys they have. He bring, I mean, all the things EJ mentioned, he also runs like a couple jet suites of games. Like he's, he's such an athlete. He can do everything. The 41 inch vert. That was 98th percentile on our PFF database based on his height and weight. Like it's hard not to like it. Um, and actually a commenter on, on this feed, you know, kind of poking fun at me. He said, relax, but I, I threw this yesterday. I agree. One thing I love about Ryan Poles, and I, you know, endorsed this 24-7-365, he traded down four times in this last draft. When you are a guy that trades down, again, you don't have to force it, you don't have to do it all day long, but when you're willing to explore that, you are you can then trade draft picks for veteran players. We love to talk about the Rams model, and everyone loves less needs, F them picks, and all those memes. No GM has traded down more in the draft in the last five years than less need. He recoups a lot of that draft capital that he gives up by doing things like that. So 
I, I yes, I, I get the, the shifting of the resources to offense, figuring out what Justin Fields is with a picture perfect match in this offense for what he wants to do. Like for example, like I like Jerry Judy as a player, but he's not as good of a fit with what Justin Fields does well as Chase Claypool is. So I love all that. And then the last piece, yeah, I trust Ryan Poles. That he, he even kind of, in my opinion, there was a tone of he knew it was, you know, he had a radio hit. Um, I want to say on 670 yesterday, and you could tell he kind of knew, like, yeah, we, we paid a premium. We paid a price here, um, but the free agent market is not good. The draft class isn't supposed to be great. Obviously, EJ would know better than me there, but that's that's kind of what I've heard. Um, maybe he's disagreeing there. Hey, well, Quentin Johnson, <laughs> I've been watching that guy with a like a hawk. There's, there's anyway. some dudes this year, but you're going to – speaking of premiums, you're going to have to – the way the league is going, you're going to have to go early. They're going to go in the first round, top half of two rounds, right? So you're going to have to take one of those very premium picks. And like you said, the Bears are not one player away. They have multiple holes across both sides of the ball. If, if a great left tackle's there, a great three-tech is there, I would not be at all surprised to see them do that. I know it's early for that talk. But to get those really premium guys, and Claypool was one of those guys, don't forget, this was a big, fast, productive guy that was highly sought after, and you're going to have to spend one of those picks. This gives you freedom to not have to do that right now, whereas if you didn't, Again, you thought the clamor was bad for drafting a wide receiver last year. Imagine what it's going to be next year if they hadn't made the Claypool move. 100%. Yeah, no. So I think we're all on the same page. And yeah, you know, like I said, once it took a step back and look at everything in its totality, um, I, I think all signs are pointing up for Ryan Poles. He's made, you know, a couple first year GM mistakes, as they all tend to do. But I think his vision is sound, his philosophy is sound, and he totally gets what the modern NFL calls for and how to be successful as fast as possible. Um, and I am very optimistic about this team going forward. Yeah. I think that kind of follow up on your guys's point there. One, the free agent market for wide receiver does not look promising this year. And he even polls uh, being, he mentioned that in his comments, like, Hey, you know, we're looking at this and we're not excited about what we're seeing here. Plus you get a half a season of chase Claypool coming into the system and, you know, even if he's not taking full-time reps on the field, he's going to get some experience, game experience, playing with Justin Fields as he learns the playbook. So you get the benefit of that half year to really hit the ground running in the in the offseason, and hopefully they, you know, work out together in the offseason. But he's seeing the landscape, right? Like he's seeing that, hey, I'm not loving what I'm seeing out of the free agent. If, if I have to go into the draft and have to take – a wide receiver and half maybe even have to take two wide receivers that really limits my strategy going in there to be able to really build this whole roster up because now i know i have to come out of here with certain position groups so in, in a lot of ways it's uh it, it really does show a guy that's thinking about things holistically um well I would love to talk to you forever, Brad, but uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, quick beer report. Uh, this is a solid little oatmeal stout. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, I hope Justin, you know, he, he probably doesn't listen to this show, but just putting it out in the world that I'm, I'm down in his home hometown area and, and, and drinking a Georgia beer that has his name on it. Uh, you know, gotta love it. Gotta love it. So, Brad, how was how is this little brewery that you found? Yeah, the Modelo, the Cerveza, you know, it was a good, smooth finish, uh, you know, refreshing. Uh, so, yeah, I, all, all all positive over here. All right. And, JB, you were in the home of Anheuser-Busch. I mean, Anheuser-Busch is also headquartered in Atlanta, and you avoided that. So, Really? Is this not, it's not in uh, St. Louis? Well, St. Louis, I mean, they have a huge brewery in Atlanta. It's one of their huge regional distribution breweries is in Atlanta for the entire Southeast. So you're probably not that far away from it if you're on Georgia Tech's campus. It's really close. I mean, I could have just bought some Coca-Cola. I mean, that's really Coulda. Nice. You know. Coulda. It's true. It's not bears over sodas. It's bears over beers. Uh, uh, well, sometimes it's bears over bourbon. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. That, that, that works, too. That works hopefully, too. hopefully it's less of that, but we have had bears over sodas for, for multiple reasons, but uh, we, we do try and avoid that. We do have a reputation to uphold. Uh, EJ, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I'm going to hop on um, with Travis, uh, who is the media guy for the Dolphins, uh, previewing Dolphins Bears tomorrow. Uh, he contacted me while I was in Buffalo. Always good to be hanging out with Travis Wingfield. Great dude. 
Um, so I'm not sure if that's going to be live stream or pod. I think it's going to be pod, so it'll publish uh, prior to the game. But um, great opportunity to talk Bears with a very knowledgeable Dolphins guy, which is really, really cool. And Brad, everybody should be following you in your work if they're not already. I would assume they are. We get the added benefit of you being a Bears fan, uh, but you are the best you know, cap guy out there. So it's always nice to be able to understand the contracts and, and how this all fits in. Uh, so Bears fans, we're, we're a little lucky, but Brad, you know, plug your stuff and anything interesting coming up for you here. Well, first off, thank you a ton. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a roundup of um, every deadline trade and a grade for both teams um, in all those trades. It was a much larger undertaking that I envisioned going into it. Uh, it was almost 5,000 words in every trade. So, well, not 5,000 each. <laughs> um, you know, but <laughs> I'm not a lunatic. Uh, maybe I am. But anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, depends who you ask. But yeah, so so check that out. I'm also um, doing a midseason um, kind of roster ranking based on how the season has started, how rookies have developed, how the, uh, obviously how the deadline changes things. Um, the Bears were 32nd on the preseason ranking. I didn't write that. Um, little little teaser. They will not be 32nd in the in the ranking coming out um, in the near future. But yeah, you can find all my stuff at pff.com and of course on Twitter at pff underscore bread. Awesome. Awesome stuff, guys. Um, really appreciate Brad hopping on here. EJ, I appreciate you uh, fitness in before your dental appointment. Make sure you, uh, you know, get a clean checkup and all that. And uh, we will uh, we will get out of here. Uh, don't really have a lot of time for Q&A today, so apologize for that. We're going to just kind of hop off here. Um, but really appreciate your time, everybody. Uh, and until next time, when we get to do back to doing reviews, uh, bear down. <laughs>